0: What's going on guys, it's your man with the Plan Samuel Plan coming back at you once again with another brand new instalment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Welcome to the show ladies and gents. Thanks as ever for tuning in. I say it every week. I'll say it again now. Make sure if you missed last week's episode, you go catch that on demand. You can download it at Blog Talk Radio. You can download it at Lords of Pain or you can get it from wherever you may usually get your podcasts from. And if you can, make sure you subscribe because we've got awesome shows that head your way each and every single night of the week here at Lords of Pain Radio. You're not going to want to miss a minute of it. We cover everything from WWE to ROH to NJPW and beyond. So make sure you check all those great shows out from my fellow LOP compatriots. And make sure as well you check out the great columns that you can read every single week, pretty much every single day on lordsofpain.net. My own included. Didn't do one this last week. We'll probably do another one next week. We'll see how we go. Welcome to this week's show, of course. And this week, uh, I want to dedicate the week. Last week, I dedicated the week to Dean Ambrose. This week, I'm dedicating the show to my boy, Seth Rollins. Because WWE have gone right ahead, coming straight out of those WrestleMania season gates. And they have decided to put together... Arguably the biggest match that they could possibly put together for this uh, generation as it now looks in the post-WrestleMania, I dare say post-Brock Lesnar, hold your breath folks, landscape. And that is, of course, Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles for the Universal Championship. And I'm very, very glad... That They've done that. I know a couple of weeks ago I sat and I spoke about the prospective opponents for Seth and I talked about how maybe Seth versus AJ was actually something of a Wrestlemania main event. Maybe they should try and stave off on the temptation to stage the match until next year's Wrestlemania. And I said that for a couple of reasons. Uh, Primary among them though is that there is a legacy of Wrestlemania main events, sort of once a generation, not quite, but mostly once a generation that perfectly embody the predominant ring fashion of the day and age. Uh, Hulk Hogan vs. Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania Six, for example, was the ultimate big man match in the age of the big man. It was produced as the ultimate big man match, it lent into the fact it was a big man match, and it did very well. The same with Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania Twelve, the ultimate cerebral story for an age of cerebral storytelling in the ring. 60-minute Iron Man match between two uh, profoundly gifted technical athletic wrestlers. The ultimate small man match for an age of small man wrestling, comparatively speaking. Austin versus The Rock, of course. Probably you could pick out WrestleMania Seventeen of the three of them as the ultimate attitudinal brawl. the the ultimate version of the predominant fashion of their day and age. And on and on you go. And Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, isn't that just the ultimate hyper-athletic WrestleMania main event that you could hope to ever get? We live in an age of more is more. I think there's really no sort of contesting that, especially when you look at, products such as NXT, for example, that will often make sure it lays the action on thick and heavy in its sort of big takeover matches. Not to my taste, but it's not necessarily a criticism because certainly it's proven to be an incredibly popular formula and one that has, rather like Marvel's movie formula, churned out success after success after success. So credit to them. But it's very much an example of the more is more age that we live in today. And the ring fashion of of the day is more is more as well the slower cerebral storytelling style that dean ambrose who was of course the subject of my conversation last week was really a master at is deeply unfashionable to the point that when it's employed that particular style of match these days when it's certainly lent into heavily as ambrose was often wont to do the, the majority fan base i dare say see those kinds of matches as dull or plotting, or slow-paced, or any number of different descriptive phrases you may want to throw out there, ultimately leaning towards a negative implication. And I think that there's been a certain... A certain loss of an appreciation for that slower cerebral style. But in the day and age where the faster a match is, the more high-octane a match is, the more athletic a match is, the more that someone could demonstrate they can do in the ring athletically, the better and more well-received that match is. In this age of supreme athleticism, the likes of which has never been seen, Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles strikes me as the perfect match to stand as an indicator of the predominant ring fashion of the day and age. It is, to the modern age, what Austin vs. Rock was in terms of, again, ring fashion in 2001, what and Michaels was in '96, and so on and so forth. And that was really the primary reason why I thought, you know what, perhaps that is a WrestleMania main event that they should hold off on. But then, of course, it got booked a couple of weeks ago on Monday Night Raw. I didn't cover it last week. I wanted to, but I didn't. And I guess, you know, some people might say that that left me with with egg on my face. I'm not sure that it did, because when I started to think about it more and more, I thought, you know what, this is absolutely perfect. And it's absolutely perfect, because why shouldn't WWE put together the biggest story they could possibly put together as soon as they could put it together? And... I usually try to avoid being too meta here on Sports Entertainment is Dead, as you know, but given that this is a storytelling issue here, I figured that I'd give myself a little license to discuss it in the first half of this week's show. And, you know, the I guess what I would say is that pacing of a story is important. And in WWE, the way that that might translate, in one respect at least, isn't just within how a specific feud is structured, but then how that feud would fit into the overarching narrative of the brand that it's happening on in this case Monday Night Raw in other words how the landscape of Monday Night Raw as a fictional world um, sort of interact with the notion that this story is being told now and I think that that the timing in that respect is perfect I think it's perfect because of the natural juxtaposition you have in the the sort of the catchphrases of these two characters burn it down the house that AJ Styles built But it's also perfect because AJ Styles has only just moved to Monday Night Raw. And if we know anything about AJ Styles, whose character has, I think, been somewhat lacking in recent years, certainly since he sort of ended that villainous run with the match against Shane, if there's one thing we've been able to tell in spite of that about AJ Styles is that he is a fierce competitor and that he would likely go right for the top dog if he were to move house to, I guess, coin a bit of a cheesy metaphor um and that's really what he's done is he's moved across from raw there was an interesting from smackdown i should say there's there was an interesting line where he talked about one of the reasons he wanted to come to raw and we'll gloss over the issues that his verbiage presents regards to how the superstar shakeup was structured and executed that's a topic for another day um but he said one of the reasons was to to win the universal championship and of course I mean, that makes total sense for his character arc. He held the WWE Championship for an extremely long time, accomplished everything there was to accomplish on SmackDown Live, had turned into a major attraction of a show under his title reign. And so his move to Monday Night Raw to do the same there, it makes perfect sense for this match to happen now because of that reason. Because AJ Styles would absolutely seek the agency to make this happen immediately. And the fact that it's timed so brilliantly with it being the beginning of Seth Rollins' Chapter 2, if you like, that I, I called his match with Brock Lesnar the end of his beginning, and the fact that now he's the Universal Champion, he's the top dog on Monday Night Raw... And he's only just getting started with it. Like, he hasn't even had one title defense yet. And here's AJ Styles looking to throw a spoke in the wheel from the off. Now, I think that's actually quite quietly some genius demonstration of shared universe storytelling. And of two interestingly... What's the word I'm looking for here? Two interestingly similar character arcs, but sufficiently different character arcs bouncing up against one another in an an unexpected fashion. So it feels like absolutely the right time to do it. And I think if they'd have held off to try and do this at WrestleMania, that's when the whole idea of pacing comes in. And I think it would have been wrong to do it. And we've seen that by WWE... More times than than we could possibly count, I think. And and one of the, the primary examples, actually, would be the Seth Rollins- Triple H-WrestleMania feud. Now, ultimately, it was important that that match happened at WrestleMania, and it's worked very well, it having happened how it happened, because it positioned Seth Rollins as a hero who was at to, uh, who's had to earn his status as a hero. We'll come back to that in the second half of the show. So ultimately it all worked out, but at the time I very distinctly remember, and I think it was a relatively justified thing to say, that it felt strange that they would, for whatever reason, instigate, and presumably it was because of Finn Balor's unexpected injury, instigate that story in like August of 2016 without any intention whatsoever of culminating it until April of 2017 and that did present issues and it presented obstacles for the character of Seth Rollins and the performer of Seth Rollins it presented obstacles I think for Monday Night Raw like I said it all turned out alright in the end but it was an example of how if you pace a story poorly even in the world of wrestling where the idea of storytelling pace translates in a slightly odd kind of multi-layered way if you pace oddly, if you kickstart it too soon without any intention of culminating it, or if you hold off and hold off and hold off on telling that story until a certain point in which you've decided it's predestined to be told, rather than telling that chapter of that story at the time that the narrative would seemingly naturally demand it be told. In the Seth Rollins Triple H example, I think that that maybe would have been around Survivor Series time, given when they instigated it. Uh, that That can then be a story's undoing. Now... To try and sort of extrapolate that a little bit more, I'm going to be talking spoilers here for a second. So it's been a huge weekend in pop culture and certainly nerd culture this last weekend, one that I've thoroughly enjoyed. But if you're interested in or and have yet to see either or both of Avengers Endgame or this last week's episode of Game of Thrones, if you've seen neither of those and intend on doing so, you're going to want to turn this podcast off now and come back to it when you've seen them, because I'm about to talk explicit spoilers. So this is your warning, I'll give you five seconds, turn the podcast off, come back to it when you've seen them, because in five seconds I will be talking explicit spoilers, starting five, four, three, two, one... You've been warned, folks. Okay, so one of the reasons why I wanted to bring these two things up is because they're both picture-perfect examples in my mind about what you can achieve if you make sure that the natural demands of a story uh, are met in terms of pacing. I think, on the one hand, the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of took some time to find its way through its various narrative threads, but the way that Avengers Endgame as a portion of a larger story was told culminated those character arcs with the death of iron man and the uh, the the aging of of captain america when he went back in time and and so on uh, and how it basically created a story of three acts and you had the first act that was the fallout from the snap in Infinity War and then the middle act where they obviously went back in time to get the Infinity Stones and then the final act where the stakes felt so much higher because of how well-paced... The, the, the that particular chapter of the story was, but also how well paced it was in combination with Infinity War that preceded it. You know, you had the chase to get the stones, you had the snap, you had the attempt to undo it, then you had the chase to get the stones again, and it just felt very measured, it felt very purposeful, it felt like a perfectly paced story that took place in a wider universe, in a wider arc, and it happened at the time it should have happened. Because, in fact, you could argue, maybe, that that the MCU left it a little too late, that you could shave some of those films off of the timeline. But certainly by the time you get to sort of the fallout of Age of Ultron and sort of Civil War, that kind of area, it feels like the pacing of each chapter of that story, the, the, the part it plays in the wider narrative has worked very, very well. And it's built and built and built to a very frenetic, highly emotionally impactful finale. And the same, I think, can be said for... Game of Thrones season 8. This last episode has come into some divisive criticism. I'm not going to get into that here obviously because this is a wrestling podcast, but it's another example of great pacing because people were kind of uh, upset with the slower first two episodes of this season, but without those without those two episodes, you then don't have the 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 same level of tension and exi- and anxiety and sense of stakes again in the final episode, uh, or rather the last episode, I should say, and the way that that in- internally was then paced—you know, starting off slowly with the tension, sort of turning into—it's uh, really slowed down to a halt in the middle with the sort of the horror movie vibes, and then really ramping it up at the very end. Um, th- and for that to have happened in the first half of the final season, a lot of people have criticised, but I think is perfectly paced, uh, placed, I should say. And again, another indicator of what happens when you have paced not just a single instance very well, but also the overarching narrative very well as well. And by that, I'm talking all the seasons of Game of Thrones, which I think have been brilliantly paced. By telling that part of the story at the time it should be told, you actually land up with end up with something incredibly effective and the reason why i'm using these two examples first of all i've just been dying to talk about these two things but also um because i wanted to to use it to just reinforce the point that i'm making which is that it absolutely i think works brilliantly to tell the story between seth and aj at this point Because I think that it's at this point it will have that Thanos impact, it will have that Night King impact on the landscape of a Monday Night Raw, which very much looks like the landscape of Westeros now that the Army of the Dead has been defeated. The landscape of the MCU now that Thanos has been defeated. Because you've had the Big Bad dispatched you've had the hero take centre stage and in comes this insurrectionist from elsewhere to set up the next chapter and it's the two, I guess now, the two big main characters about to clash against one another and I think that if they'd have held off till next WrestleMania, it would have felt less exciting and exhilarating and the stakes would have felt lesser despite it having been at WrestleMania than they do now because the the stakes for Seth at this particular point in time feel massive uh, because he's just getting started out, and the stakes for AJ Styles feel massive because he's come in all guns blazing, making massive bold claims, and he now has to back those up. And if he doesn't, it's egg on face time for him, and his reputation is in tatters. So huge stakes, brilliant timing, uh, and I think I'm very excited to see what they do at Money in the Bank. I hope it headlines because it absolutely should. And I'm going to build, uh, or rather break down the the characters a little bit more on the other side of the advert break. Stick with me, folks. Going to take us to a quick ad break here, and when we come back, I'll be talking in a little bit more depth about the architect and the phenomenal one. As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, Can we not have a bit of color? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's Flexible Home Improvement Loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard. Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. If you have any thoughts on any of the things that I discuss on this show, or or indeed on my manner as a host, or the structure of the show, or anything of that nature, make sure you do get in touch. I had some wonderful feedback last week. I can only get better at this with your help, and I want it. And I can only have fun doing this with your conversation, so I want that as well. You could do so through a whole host of means. The best and fastest way is probably on Twitter, at LOPPLAN. You can look me up on Facebook, just look for SamuelPLAN. You can drop me a comment on any of my posts on lordsofpain.net. Look out for Sports Entertainment is Dead or Just Business there. You can, of course, drop me an email if you're feeling old school, samuel.plan101 at gmail.com. But the way I'd encourage you to do it most of all is to sign up to the LOP forums and join in on what I believe genuinely to be the best pocket of the IWC going on the internet. Wonderful folks, wonderful conversation, and you could try your hand for free at writing your own wrestling columns. We get great comments to all of our posts on Lords of Pain all the time, especially feedback to columns most of which are often columns in themselves. You guys have got a lot of talent out there and I want to see it in our columns forum. So sign up, get writing, get sharing your thoughts and your opinions. I'd love to hear them. Or just drop me a message on any of those platforms I've just mentioned. We're talking about... Se- se- excuse me... <clears throat> Oh, I beg your pardon. Um, and we're talking about Seth Rollins and AJ Styles this week, which, of course, has now been booked as the main event of Money in the Bank, which we've got a few weeks left to go yet, so it's going to be interesting in seeing how this narrative evolves. In the first half of the show there, we were talking about why I think it's the perfect time for this to happen. Now let's talk a little bit about why I think it's such a brilliant match, because that goes beyond any sort of stylistic... Analysis that you might want to make which is just as much part of viewing wrestling's performance hard as anything else by the way but the characters here are very interesting and not just because of the natural juxtaposition presented by the fact that they are both incredibly athletic talents that they are uh, two men who have become synonymous with the two brands in WWE now sort of finally meeting head to head Not only because they've only ever, to my knowledge, wrestled the once on the independent circuit, which is quite special and quite something in today's WWE environment as well. But also because of their mentality, and I thought that we got a very interesting insight into why I would say Seth Rollins already has something of an upper hand on AJ Styles, even though it may not necessarily look like it from a physical point of view coming out of this last week on Monday Night Raw. The reason I say that is because of something that AJ Styles said that I found very interesting. And funnily enough, it's something that I've discussed myself on, I think maybe this show, but certainly on the right side of the pond in the past and certainly with friends. Which was that AJ Styles said, how many times have people said that Seth Rollins is the next AJ Styles? And you sort of, for a second, want to lean back and say, well actually I don't think many people have ever said that, but we'll go with it because it's the story. And let's say that in WWE's universe that a lot of people have been saying that because it's a valid comparison to make for all the reasons that I've listed a few moments ago. It's also AJ Styles' first mistake. Seth Rollins is unlike any competitor AJ has wrestled before. He's going to have no desire to get under AJ's skin uh, unless he comes to realize that might be his only chance in the ring. That's going to be one interesting facet to see how... Seth matches up to AJ physically and whether he does need to revert to psychological warfare in order to gain an upper hand, which we've seen work brilliantly well against AJ Styles with the likes of Shinsuke and and Samoa Joe in the past, but of course never to victorious standards. No, instead Seth Rollins is unlike any man AJ's wrestled because Seth Rollins has been on a journey unlike any man AJ has ever wrestled. And, What I mean by that is, of course, the fact that, that, you know, AJ said in that promo, when you want something bad enough, you'll do surprising things. Well, it's curious to me that he feels a need to lecture Seth Rollins of all people about that, because Seth Rollins isn't just a man who understands that as a fact, he is a man who lived that as a fact, the portrayal of the shield lives in infamy. We all know Seth Rollins' fratricidal act, and we all know how defining it's become for him as a man over the years since that has happened. It has been the center of gravity that has informed every single major event in the life of Seth Rollins in WWE's universe. From the ascent to Mr. Money in the Bank, uh, a little bit of historical irony there, of course. And his capturing of the World Heavyweight Championship to his, uh, to his uh, uh, ad- adoption as the centerpiece of the authority to his uh, dispatching of the King of Kings all the way right through to his victory over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Seth Rollins' journey has been defined by the fact. He, as a man, is defined by the fact that if you want something bad enough, you will do, to quote AJ Styles, surprising things. But AJ's in for a big shock, because if he thinks that nailing Seth Rollins one week on Raw and being able to put him through a table is in some way a psychological advantage, based on the notion of doing surprising things because you want something bad enough, then he's going to very quickly discover what everybody... Else who has ever wrestled Seth Rollins has quickly discovered, whether it's Brock Lesnar, Triple H, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, doesn't matter. They've all discovered that, sure, if you want something bad enough, you'll do a surprising thing or two. But when Seth Rollins wants something bad enough, he'll do absolutely everything until he walks away with it. And Seth Rollins wants to be Universal Championship Champion. He's got that championship. He wants to run Monday Night Raw as the champion. And he wants it bad enough to do anything he needs to do to get it. AJ Styles has arguably deeper offensive pockets than any other warrior in WWE's world, but what he doesn't have is the iron will of Seth Rollins, and ultimately, I think in the ring, this story is going to be defined by whether or not AJ Styles can formulate the weapon he needs to be the thing that finally shatters that indomitable willpower of Seth Rollins, that incredible drive that powers him to constantly have to satiate his addiction to success. And that's a very interesting tale. But there's also another little subplot bubbling away with all of this, uh, which is, and I I kind of touched on it earlier, the idea that we are in a desolate landscape. Brock Lesnar has left a, uh, a void a power vacuum, and Seth Rollins has been the first man to occupy that. But right now is the perfect opportunity for AJ Styles, because again, if you've seen uh, if you've seen something like Avengers Endgame or the last episode of Game of Thrones this week, both of those final acts in those in those stories presented the world as a hellscape. And that's essentially what Raw is in in my mind right now. Is this barren wasteland that's waiting for the new world to take shape? That's waiting for you know to steal Game of Thrones waiting for the prince that was promised to, to bring the dawn. And right now, this universal championship feud between AJ Styles and Seth Rollins is about who that prince is going to be, is about the guy who's going to decide what happens next. And it may just be that fate dictates that now that Seth Rollins' role is fulfilled in burning down what was, maybe this is now fated to be AJ Styles' role to build what what is going to be next – but if we've seen anything, we've seen that Seth Rollins isn't really one for fate. He's one for doing, he's one for agency, for doing what needs to be done to succeed. And I'm confident that he's going to do that again. But I think AJ Styles' major disadvantage here, his primary mistake, is what he said, and I've already referenced it on this show, when he said, How many people have said you're going to be the next AJ Styles? And Seth himself said it in 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 reply. I've I've never wanted to be, the next AJ Styles. I've only ever wanted to be Seth Rollins. What a line that is! It's easy to look over that. It's just another, you know, one of WWE's cliches. Which, if you look at WWE Sports Entertainment is dead. You'll just pass it off as a bit of cheesy script. But well, think about it as performance art. Think about what that line means. I've never wanted to be the next AJ Styles. I've only ever wanted to be Seth Rollins. I may be slightly misquoting there, but it's along that. That was the spirit of what he said. I've only ever wanted to be Seth Rollins. When you think about the journey Seth has been on to get here, a journey that, as far as his time in WWE goes, AJ Styles has never had to be on. AJ Styles, a man who has enjoyed the comfort of. Of fan idolization in a, in a manner that is currently kind of being uh, being ranted on and, and crusaded against by Sami Zayn. Interestingly, so some nice shared universe there. You have a sense of a world forming here, but a journey AJ's never been on, a journey that that Seth Rollins has been on for years, that was on for years, that's finally over, that culminated with his doing what AJ never could, which was slaying the beast. And by the way, quick aside. I think that alone is symbolic of why Seth has something of an advantage here, because that journey has forged him into the kind of competitor that can beat Brock Lesnar. AJ Styles, because he hasn't had a comparative journey, was unable to beat Brock Lesnar. And it's going to be very interesting now to see how that unfolds when those two individuals meet. But I get sidetracked. The point that I'm trying to make is Seth Rollins has been on this journey. He was manipulated by a uh, by a sadist and a power monger, Triple H, uh, into betraying his brothers. He was then essentially turned into an addict, Triple H his dealer, giving him more and more success, and and, and with, with less and less a, a, a price attached to it, Seth began to get addicted to the shortcuts until he was utterly reliant on Triple H, until his willpower and his drive had been totally stripped away from him. And he was totally reliant on Triple H for that success. And then Triple H tried to deal the killing blow. But even he had underestimated just how difficult, practically impossible it is to kill Seth Rollins' will altogether. Because even when he betrayed Seth to what he thought was Seth's doom, when Seth had no authority, no brotherhood, no success, he was left bereft. And the threat of his willpower was removed as a danger to Triple H's grasp on power. Uh Seth was still going. His willpower was still there and it just resurrected stronger than ever before. Eventually slayed the king, destroyed the authority as Triple H had always feared that it would. How ironic that Triple H essentially created the own environment uh that of the he created the environment of his own downfall in his efforts to try and avoid it. You know, there's a sense of fatalism there. Um, And then Seth had the long and arduous journey of having to rebuild everything that he'd lost, and everything that he'd lost was his soul, himself, everything that made him him. He'd had his identity stripped away and destroyed, and his body turned into a mindless vassal by this... Machiavellian monster Triple H and he had to reclaim all of that he had to redesign all of that and he had to rebuild all of that and that in itself was an arduous journey that involved uh, you know reunions and betrayals with his brothers again that involved having to learn the humility of defeat at the hands of his uh, fear made flesh in the form of Bray Wyatt uh, that that took the form of having to to go through the Gauntlet of an hour-long effort to beat John Cena and Roman Reigns to prove it could still be Monday Night Rollins, had to carry the Intercontinental Championship to new heights, had to win a Royal Rumble, had to slay a beast. All of this just to be able to walk out of WrestleMania this year with the Universal Championship, but most importantly of all, with himself utterly reconstructed. AJ Styles sat in that ring this last week and he said, how many times has anyone ever told you that you could be the next AJ Styles? And Seth Rollins said in response, I never wanted to be AJ Styles. I only ever wanted to be Seth Rollins. Think about that journey I've just described. And then ask yourself, why the hell would Seth Rollins ever want to be anything other than the man he has rebuilt himself to be on the back of the journey that he's had to get to this point? The answer is he wouldn't. There is no price he would not pay to reclaim his better self, to reclaim the best version of himself, to reclaim everything that had been taken away from him, everything that he had surrendered himself. The journey since 2012 up to 2019 has been one that has seen a true hero take shape in WWE. Someone who has overcome obstacles. Someone whose journey has enjoyed proper pacing. Someone whose character has enjoyed proper continuity. And now he stands face to face with arguably the greatest danger to everything that he's won. Which is a man who built something from nothing in his own right on Smackdown Live. But a man who seems to think Seth Rollins hasn't been on the journey he's been on. Or at least doesn't recognise that Seth Rollins has been on the journey he's been on. It's interesting, because you could give either one of those men an advantage as a result of all of this, but one thing that I know, one thing, because I don't know who's going to win, genuinely. You know, there's every chance that they they have AJ pull out a victory at Money in the Bank. But all I do know is that it's going to be a hell of a fight, and that it's a fight that should that had to happen now, that should happen now, and that is going to happen now. And, you know, for all of the... Like I said, big pop culture weekend this last weekend, for all of the letdown that Raw was uh, in comparison to what's been happening with the MCU, with Game of Thrones, ultimately uh, this remains an exciting beating heart in the middle of all of that. I can't wait to see... Uh, how this storyline progresses, I can't wait to see how these two characters continue to interact with one another, and I can't wait to see who turns out to be the man who will carry that red belt, which is a word we can use again, folks, um, through the 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 smoke of the aftermath of a slain beast as they, con- as they begin the process of rebuilding a new Monday Night Raw in the hellscape of what's been left by the subjugation of Brock Lesnar. It's only fitting that it's Seth Rollins and AJ Styles fighting over the right to do that. And my heart is a thousand million percent behind Seth, of course. And I'm sure AJ will have his supporters. But damn it, this is Seth's moment. And I can't wait for AJ Styles to find out just what he's brought on himself through his foolish actions this last week on Monday Night Raw. As I said At the top of this half of the show, though, when we came back from the advert break, if you've got any thoughts or feelings on anything I've discussed on this show, but specifically about the characters of AJ and Seth, and how you think this story is going to unfurl from this point onwards, do let them know with the means I plugged earlier on in the show. I'll, of course, be back next week uh, with... God only knows what. We'll see what happens in the coming week. I'd quite like to start having a look at this Bray Wyatt situation, which is proving to be very interesting. In the meantime, I'll be back on Friday, of course, uh, with The Right Side of the Pond, with my cohort Maverick, as always, maybe with Mazzy. We'll see if he can make it. So make sure you tune into that show. Make sure you tune into all the great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. And I will see you this time next week. Thanks for listening.